90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Doing pretty good. One, one final down, one to go. Yay. Yay. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see. I mean, I was complaining to my son earlier today, and I said, you know, he's in junior high, so he's taking finals this week as well. And I was like, yeah, but once you're done with your final, you're done. You don't have to think about it anymore. And I have to sit there and think about that one question I wrote 30 times, right? Right. He, he had no sympathy for me whatsoever. <laughs> well, and then sometimes you write that question and find out you wrote it poorly. Ugh. When half the people answer it one way and half the people answer it the other way. You're both not. Wrong. Wrong. Exactly. Yep. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, and you know what ones I always mess up to? And it is... <laughs> it's true-false or multiple-choice ones. Those are the ones you always write incorrectly. Yep. You have to go through so many iterations of, okay, I'm a student sitting down here. How do I interpret this question? And then you're like, all right, I've got it done. This is the best that it could be written. And then exactly like you said happens. And you're like, oh, nope. <laughs> it wasn't. I wrote true-false questions once, never again. Oh, they're so easy to grade. I refuse to give them up. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I will not do Scantron, which is Scantron's gone now. It's all electronic, which is interesting for some people. Um <laughs> And I refuse to do that. Like, my my tests are majority short answer. But, man, when I'm on, like, page four of short answer, like, I need a page that's just going to be real easy to do. <laughs> so. oh, see, I'm all about three answer, multiple choice. Oh, I do that, too. I do multiple answer, multiple choice. Oh, that's not what yeah. you meant. That is what you no, meant. No, I mean just A, B, and C. Oh. Oh, no. Well, where's none the, of this A B C D stuff? Oh, where's the a, B, fun and in C. that? Oh, I go to F sometimes. Oh, but two are very similar, subtly <sighs> different. Mm. I do a circle all and that apply. Sometimes it's neither one of those. <laughs> yeah. See. Mm-hmm. That's why I did not do well in chemistry. Um, <laughs> mine are yeah, circle all that apply. They're the meanest multiple choice that could ever exist. Right. A through F. Circle oh, all that yeah, apply. Mm-hmm. Not as bad as the matching. No, I, I. And also, who thought like when you draw the lines, like how are you going to grade this? It is impossible. That's <laughs> it. I got rid of matching. There's a really great actually on Canvas, our learning management system. Um, there's a really great matching setup. So when we were online and we had to do finals, that's the only time I ever did matching. Yeah. Other than that, no. I do fill in the blank sometimes, too. That's an easy, like, quick way to grade. I only do that in non-major, you know, thousand-level courses. Um, And I do word banks, too, but I do lots of superfluous words, so it's kind of pointless to even have the word bank. And I think people will put these words in, like, we have never talked about this, not even, I'll put, like, pseudotaculite in there as a choice, and people will write it. I'm like, when did we talk about this? <laughs> start, start sprinkling in like flux capacitor. Uh, I write Dwayne Johnson is always a choice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a kid. One of many forms of rock. Exactly. 
I had a kid put it in for like everyone that he didn't know, and I almost gave him some credit. <laughs> Is kid one of your choices? Oh no, that's a good one too. That's a good one too. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's that might have aged out. I hate to tell you that. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's that, rough. That hurts. Yeah. It hurts about as much as talking about Eminem with my junior high student. Who? What? <laughs> yeah, that... Ooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's very rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it's a, it's a slippery slope trying to be funny on some of those, for sure. <laughs> right. I do like... Monkeys deep in the mantle are responsible for volcanic explosions, though. <laughs> you always have a few of those answers. I've got a few that I remember mm-hmm. that you will never forget until your dying day that were so absolutely absurd. Exactly. I know. And I love it. I also have, like, what does the magnetosphere protect us from? And aliens is one of my choices. And I've gotten a lot of great, like, addendums to that question. <laughs> from students over the years <laughs> nice yeah i generally as long as they also put like cosmic radiation i will always count it when they put aliens too <laughs> yeah yeah so. my favorite was a mass balance for the atmosphere and the, the what i initially thought was just insinuation until they blatantly wrote it in part of the explanation was when you get close to the surface, right? You get friction, you get all these weird effects and you have a boundary condition because air doesn't go into or come out of the surface of the earth. Um, But this person explicitly wrote that to make up the mass balance, air comes out of the soil. Okay. I will always remember that response. Yeah. Because I was just baffled. Yep. By it. Oh man. And I'm not trying to make fun of that person. I'm no. <laughs> baffled uh-huh. by th- that conclusion and that you wrote that and we're like, yep. That's good. Turning that in. I mean, Aristotle would have said that was right, but it's I, true. I doubt that's where they were going with it. <laughs> well, and you know, for me, when I think about soil, I would first initially think that well, there's not much room for air in there because. It's pretty tightly packed, but to a sedimentologist, soil's the loose stuff. Right? I was just going to say there is no way what you just said was true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. sedimentologists look at things very, very differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a sandstone to use permeable. Uh, up, to, to up to forty-five. Up to forty-five percent. Up to right. engineers, it's bedrock, and I'm like, what? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. But then you can even get into smaller and smaller stuff, right? And that's something that you talked about recently at a workshop. Exactly. So I alluded to this last week, um, and I said we should do a whole show on it. And there's actually probably 15 shows to be done. But because this is not my area of expertise, sort of, um, we're going to do this one show to start off with. (laughs) And it's about um, using the grains that you would find laying along a river, maybe. And when you look at those grains, you know, what can they tell you? And so I thought that we would talk about this 
workshop that I went to, which was called Heavy Mineral Analysis. Um, and it was done by these two guys from Italy, because this is actually a really big deal in Europe um, for sedimentologists. So a lot of sedimentology in Europe focuses around this thing called provenance analysis, right? And these two guys, Luca uh, Caracolio and Sergio Ando, are sort of responsible for helping to make this thing called the heavy mineral index. And it's looking at sediments and seeing what's in there and saying where they came from, which might sound like what you would expect a sedimentologist to do, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's generally, if your rock is little pieces of other rock, you need to know what those little pieces are and how they got there. Right. Exactly. And so this is where the heavy part of this comes in. Um, <laughs> which... I thought you just meant it was difficult. Okay. <laughs> I was hoping that you were going to do the back to the future quote there about why is everything so heavy? Is something different with gravity in the future? <laughs> is something wrong with Earth's gravitational field? <laughs> um, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> so if you think about this, I want you to reach back to said pet, okay? So you're sedimentary. I, I am... I'm mm -hmm. reaching back to a fictitious <laughs> class. Ah, oh! <laughs> Is this 10, 15, or 20% of this particular mineral on this slide? I don't know by looking, and neither do you. Oh, oh such a lie. Um, <laughs> so, if you're looking at all these... Go ahead and send the hate mail in. I'm ready. I know, yeah. <laughs> don't worry, everybody. He will pay for that comment. <laughs> Um, man, you geophysicists are the worst in that class. You got to have exact <laughs> answers. It is infuriating to me. Um, well, what, what, no, okay. <laughs> Momentary pause here. <laughs> it's not even that it has to be an exact answer. Oh the part that gosh. drove me the most off the wall was like, well, just estimate. It's like, okay, I estimate 10. And then it would get marked incorrect and put 20 down. I'm like, <laughs> What? <laughs> okay. You give me a hard time for not having precise answers as a geophysicist. What's this? Anyway, okay. Carry on. It has to be my estimate, obviously. Um, <laughs> guess my estimate. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a game with the jelly beans. And yeah, the exactly. <laughs> so we've talked about this before on the show, but. If I hand you this pile of sand, what can you tell me about it with nothing except a hand lens and your geologic knowledge? Like, what are you going to describe in this sand? So, grain size, ra grain rounding. What are those going to tell me? Grain color. What's grain size going to tell me? Well, it's going to tell you what kind of energy it got deposited in. Okay. So... If you've got high energy flow, you're going to be able to carry big grains, and as it gets lower energy, you'll drop big grains out and then drop smaller and smaller. Okay. All right. What about rounding? So that's going to tell you how far it was transported, how much did it get knocked around and all the sharp edges knocked off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a thing we call maturity, right? So how far away is it from where it started? Yeah. Okay. okay. What else? What are those percentages you're alluding to? What did that have to do with? The the composition of the rock. How much is quartz? How much is something else? 
Right. There are other things in rock. <laughs> wow, that was great. You came up with chords. Good. <laughs> I can see I am going to very poorly carry the show. <laughs> <laughs> when we get no, out okay. so, so you've got so you got case bar and <laughs> yeah 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 so the differences in those things though okay if we say a mature sand that means a sand that has grains that are about all the same size they're very well rounded they're mostly quartz what's happened to all those other things that could be in that sand where have they gone probably got sorted out because they settled differently right sorted out they're different compositions exactly so you can say a lot without without knowing anything about where the sand came from right and you can tell me what kind of environments like that would happen in where would you get a nice mature sand i mean distal to any kind of outlet right what's ultimate base level Where's all water trying to get to? Sea level. Right. Beaches, so beaches. are the best, yeah. right? So as far away as you can get, right? Beaches are one of the best places to get these super mature, very, um, you know, well-sorted sands. But you don't always get that there. Sometimes there's all these other things that are in your sand. And that's sort of the point of... This whole process that we call provenance analysis is, okay, some beaches do have amazing, well-sorted quartz sand with nothing else in them. Some beaches are green because the whole beach is made of olivine, right? In Hawaii, the famous green olivine beaches, right? That's a <laughs> mineral to quote you... the scientist from uh, <laughs> Monty Python, but are there not also beaches that are colored? Ah, uh, 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 uh. there you go. <laughs> Man, so yeah, I mean, like we, we've been on the 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 black sand beaches mm -hmm. in Hawaii. Yep, that's surreal. Yeah, so you get that too. So the difference in all of these is where the sediments coming from, right? And that's all provenance means. Where did your sediments come from? And so it depends on what your end game is as to what a good answer for that is. Right? You can be like, those mountains up there, that volcano over there. You can say something like, mm, this is definitely from like a divergent rift volcanism situation, something like that. And the composition of those sands can actually link back to very specific tectonic regimes that the sands were made in. Yeah, okay, so you're talking about a lot deeper... Yes. Uh, <laughs> deeper tracing of... You're, you're talking about calling in the big guns and actually getting... Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of value in that little exercise that we just did. It's what we teach people when we're teaching people the very basics of sedimentology. But so if you're going to... Who on without warning them? Yes. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> um, and... It's like that thing where, you know, we lie to everybody in intro geology because we tell you these answers. But the situation is, like, science doesn't have a lot of answers, which some people can accept and some people can't. <laughs> but this is true for these provenance analysis. And so the first thing that we talked about in this class, which was the class was 
amazing. Like, it was so amazing. Um, and I am, like, tangentially a sedimentologist, right? Um, the first thing we talked about is that that exact thing I just went over. So you can tell actual, like, tectonic regimes associated with this pile of sediment that you're looking at. And the other thing that you can immediately tell is what was the lithology in that tectonic regime, right? You said there's the black sand beaches, those are basalt beaches, the olivine beaches, which came from basalts, and quartz beaches, which come from silica-rich rocks. Okay. And then right. you can understand something about the climate. Okay, so you can look at these grains and you can say what type of weathering was going on. You can look, you said color when you were talking about them, the color of the grains. So you can look and say, like, how weathered are these grains? Like, have they been chemically weathered? Are they just mechanically weathered? Where do these come from? Because different climates, cold or hot, will have different types of weathering. We've talked about all these things on the show before. Right. Right. Um, and also, you know, how far can stuff go? So looking at tectonics, lithology, and climate, they sort of put this together as the sediment factory. Those are the three things that are going into creating your, like, modern-day sediment. And when you scoop up a chunk of it from somewhere, you can start to analyze it and say something about the tectonics, lithology, and climate of the place the sediment is being sourced from. So I assume for doing that, you're doing more than, I mean, you obviously start with a hand lens and then maybe a microscope, but you're probably going a lot deeper than that. Right. So, I mean, the microscope is the number one tool, really, for provenance analysis. And so um, someone that we've had on the show a couple times before, uh, Dr. Lynn Sorgan, who's the director at our school, she comes from the school, the Bill Dickinson School of, you know, Pro provenance and basin analysis. So um, he was a professor at the University of Arizona, and he sort of pioneered, like, looking at a large basin system. And, you know, what do I mean by basin? If you're huge drainage area, right? And looking at the sediments to understand where within that area all of the sediment comes from. And so he's sort of the, um, the American version of provenance analysis. And so that's a lot of this awful thing called point counting. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Be a shame if you had to do something different than estimate. <laughs> um, so we'll put this hostility aside for a second. <laughs> and we'll do something that's right up your alley. Because this is... Very funny to me. And I know nothing about this. If anyone has, like, a lot of experience with this, I think it's very funny. Apparently, there's, like, an American version and a European version of point counting. I don't know the differences. I'm tangentially a sedimentologist. <laughs> I think this is really funny. So you could – it's exactly what you think it is, okay? You have a bunch of grains in a slide. You've made a thin section, maybe. You can do it either way. And you sit there and you go, okay – this grain over here is a quartz. One quartz. <laughs> this grain's a feldspar. One feldspar. And you yep. just do that for everything in the slide, right? You have this nice little 
fancy thing you put on your microscope and it moves the slide in increments so you're not counting grains a couple of times. Here's where you can get fancy. You can just have a piece of paper and write down what you see and make tick marks. Or you can have this fancy box where you press a button for each. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you can take a picture through the microscope and put it on your computer and just tag them. You could do that as well. You could have an Excel spreadsheet. This is a highly personal thing. I would love to interview some people about like how they do this. So I'm just saying, because you know somebody's got it, those little tally counters that they use to like count people going into hundred percent. You, you know somebody's got like twelve of these mounted on a board. That is exactly <laughs> what I've seen. Yes. I've also seen like electronic ones, which are hilarious and weigh like eighty pounds. Um, yeah, where they just have like it's like a cash register or something. <laughs> Except you get sand, suckers like us. <laughs> so <laughs> This is very interesting, but the point is, by looking at these amounts in here, you know, you can say something about all those things we just talked about, climate, lithology, and tectonics, right? Um, <laughs> but eventually, in this whole, you know, point counting system, you're definitely going to use the microscope. Great. But if you're thinking about the sand system, so it's it's impossible really to to not talk about processes throughout this whole thing when we're talking about where sand comes from, where it's generated. But, you know, it's a holistic science, so you have to talk about both of these things together. So, where does it come from? You've got this idea of what's in it using your microscope. Oh, great. As sand works its way through the system... Some of these things that are easily weatherable will leave the system, right? So if you're looking at sand that's like at the top of a mountain in a little creek versus sand that's 30 kilometers out from the mountain, it's going to look totally different, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so the things that stick around are these heavy minerals. And that's part of this heavy mineral index that these guys came up with. Um, because they're the ones that don't, they don't weather very easily, either mechanically or chemically. And so as sediment is made the first time around, right, sediment can get recycled itself. The things that get concentrated are these heavy minerals. And so heavy mineral analysis is one of the things that you really use for provenance because you've gotten rid of all the things that are erodible, what are these heavy minerals, right? And so by looking at those, you can say a lot about those tectonic climate um, and lithology questions. So are these, I mean, I'm going to, thinking of heavy stuff that's going to be in source, like, are these the iron family of minerals? Well, so now think about, I'm going to ask you to go even further back to mineralogy. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we had some Miller indices up. It was great. Um, okay, so that's what I would think, too, right? Heavy minerals. Yeah, like magnetite. Right. What does magnetite look like in a microscope? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so mineralogy is too far back for you. Okay. It's just black. 
you can, it's okay. it's opaque. Okay, so if you get iron minerals, they turn opaque. So there's no real way to tell those apart. So the microscope, the well, optical, not visually. the optical microscope. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. I know. You're trying to lead me there and we'll get there. <laughs> Isn't well, ma- let me use the real quantitative tool. I know, Shannon. not yet. You're using your eyeballs. <laughs> Quantify that. Um so not not quite that, but it's sometimes called the ZTR index. So you want zircons, tourmalines, okay, and rutiles. Mm-hmm. Those are all words I remember, and I remember zircons last forever. So zircons last forever, not diamonds, everybody. Zircons. That's true. <laughs> uh, and there's a whole field of geochronology, so understanding the ages of things based on zircons. Okay. You definitely don't remember what all those look like optically, I'm guessing. <laughs> no, I remember tourmaline depending on what direction you look at the crystal from, whether it's down or across the C-axis, is a different color. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say it's brown along the C-axis and kind of aqua across it. It depends on the tourmaline. Okay. Yeah. So the one, I remember seeing that particular effect or the flip of that. I don't remember which. Yes. It's, yeah, it depends on the tourmaline. So that's okay. I'll give you that one. Good job. <laughs> And zircons are tiny, layered-looking things, if I remember right. Yeah, they have super high relief. So they yeah. stand out from the grains around them very well. So really high relief. thing about rutile under the microscope. Now, rutile, if you like that quartz that has all those little spiky things in it, it's called rutilated quartz. I really love rutilated quartz. I think it's very pretty. Um, very collectible. S- those stick around because rutile is really hard to get rid of. Okay. Quartz is also one of those hardest things to get rid of. But quartz isn't heavy. Like it can float away in the system. These guys sit here and get concentrated because their atomic weights are much heavier. Um, rutile is really platy or more bladed, sorry, more bladed kind of tannish all the time tourmaline can be a whole bunch of different things and then you have garnets garnet is one of the heavy minerals that you look at um they're isotropic which means when you put the cross polars in they're black so those are easy to identify optically not the type of garnet that's a little harder (laughs) okay um then you have stuff like epidote apatite titanite um monazite starlight diopside all those things are part of these heavy minerals you can get into weird stuff like perovskite which is kind of purpley pink and really cool these things can be told apart with a little bit of work optically fairly well but a lot of them i don't i have a hard time with appetite it's clear most of the time i find that one hard to figure out monazite too because these are sediments right it's not like the perfect form of the crystal if you had that it'd be a lot easier so as yeah, you, if you could identify the the symmetries and everything. right exactly exactly and i tell you what we had to in this class <gasps> they were like okay well pull the interference figure what Ooh. <laughs> 
has been a while since you put the old uh, mica plate in, right? Oh, man. They, and they didn't have Bertrand lenses. And this, this guy was amazing. Okay, so you're mocking the capabilities, the non-quantitative capabilities of the eyeball. But Sergio Ando was a computer in human form. It was unreal what he could do with an optical microscope. <laughs> so... In terms of the class, it was very well put together. I know, you know, you're obviously interested in, in how that runs. It was four full days, full days, right before Thanksgiving. Um, so full, like we were there a long time, but it didn't seem like it. Like the end of the day sort of snuck up on you. It was done really well. They sort of took turns lecturing and it was interspersed with um, actual like exercises on the microscope and he had put together these sets of slides and he actually in the end showed us cause he had videoed it all, which was super cool to watch um, his whole, how you actually separate all these heavy minerals out because you start with a sand that you just scooped up somewhere and you have to separate and get just the heavy stuff. You don't want to look at the feldspars and the quartz and all that jazz. Um, and so he went through all that, but he had made slides that were grain mounts so you can either take a rock shave it down to 20 microns and look at it that way 30 microns sorry and look at it that way in a thing that we call a thin section or you can literally sprinkle grains onto glue and look at those under the microscope too okay so that's the thing called a grain mount and he had taken he had so many he had these little sets based on like the mineralogical family of slides. And it was just a slide full of tourmaline. And it was just a slide full of grains of monazite, a slide full of grains of olivine. And you could go around and look at the different habits of the grains. Cause I mean, they're grains, right? So they're pretty, some of them can get large. So it's kind of different to look at that in an optical microscope versus a, thin section where everything's a uniform thickness. Um, and it was so cool. So he had these great teaching sets, essentially, with all these heavy minerals. I can't imagine how many hours those represented. <laughs> Picking out just those, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then they say, pull an interference figure. And I said, oh, my gosh. And... <laughs> The sedimentologist beside me started freaking out as well. It was hilarious. And we're, like, searching online for, like, all these, like, okay, it's biaxial positive if it looks like this, right? <laughs> and, like, he's like, which one is the yellow? Which one's the blue? It's super funny. So to do this, you need this thing called a Bertrand lens, and it sort of, like, focuses the conical light of this transmission or this optical microscope i didn't have one on mine a lot of teaching microscopes don't have these things this guy <laughs> sergio ando he goes okay you can do this too you take out one of the oculars and you put a piece of paper over it and put like a little pin prick in the middle of the paper and you can pull an interference figure using that <laughs> wow it was unbelievable <laughs> Uh-huh. Or you can buy this $2,000 thing. Or you can just put this piece of paper over. <laughs> yeah. 
So the point is, interference figures, if you don't know what they are, if you're looking, like John was saying, whether you're looking down the C-axis, so minerals form in these very specific ways, and how you look at the mineral in the microscope can tell you something about the minerals, like chemical habit, right? How the ions are all set up. And we should actually talk about interference figures in a whole yes, other show because we should. Like, there's something that at the time I thought was annoying and difficult, and I'm not going to say that I refute either of those claims. Mm-hmm. The physics of it, now that I understand enough about uh, uh, physics, yeah. is very cool. It I is. I still don't want to do optical mineralogy. Oh, it is super cool. And this guy, like I said, he was a machine. And so a lot of these heavy minerals, they look a lot alike. A lot alike. And you got to go in there and say, okay, if I'm looking down this axis, what does what is the light doing? And that'll help tell me the differences because right these minerals are all different because they have different chemical formulas and so the interaction of all those different cations and anions yields these different interference figures anyway so we can talk about that later but this guy could go through a slide full of stuff and he could he could point count it faster than any software you would want to use i guarantee it with higher accuracy too interesting real i've never seen anything like it and like you know i took mineralogy from dave london so (laughs) right it was it was really cool so the guy really knew his stuff but what was really neat in all of this so they've come up with this thing this heavy mineral index and i won't belabor all of that but the point is to tie these things of tectonics climate and lithology by looking at a sand you can use this heavy mineral index how many percentages you have of them to really pinpoint tectonic processes that were happening to make the sand, which you might think is real obvious. Like, if I'm in the Andes, there's a big subduction zone right there, right? That's it. But in the scales of looking at different basins and maybe where those basins are next to each other and where they interact or somewhere really far downstream, like you were talking about, John, you can say, oh, we're getting a lot more you know, sediment produced in this volcanic section of our subduction zone than we are in the uplifted granites that are also in the subduction zone. Stuff like that. Okay, yeah. Right, so that's that's the point of that. That's the provenance part. Where did it come from? And so you can start to say something about how the hydraulics of the basin work, which go into the climate of the basin over time. And it just helps characterize the region. So it was, Hmm. yeah, it was very interesting. It's nothing I had ever thought about, really, besides the fact that I knew it existed. And that was cool. But the other tool that he used to do all of this, besides just his eyeballs, (laughs) was he had, like, a Raman mass spectrometer on his microscope. Like, he had his optical microscope and then this Raman right there. So he could, like, mark a grain that he couldn't figure out on the optical microscope, throw it under the Raman right then, get a reading for that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where the quantitative comes in. It's Ex- awesome. Exact. Well, <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> so the <laughs> – it was really funny because the guy that was teaching – with Sergio would was always joking about his eyeballs were actual Ramans. 
because he was <laughs> he was so good at it. So they are doing quantitative with their eyeballs, which is very impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was really neat. And so that was, I had not, I mean, the mass spectrometers I've seen are huge, right? And this one is like small and hooked to the microscope. Yeah, I mean, all Raman is is measuring the frequency of scattered light. Yeah. I don't know why I just assumed that the one that I've been in a room with is the only type that exists. (laughs) 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 And he went all the way back and talked about, like, the guy, Raman, who it was named for and all this stuff. And he had these really cool stories, which I hate that as I get older, I'm more interested in, like, the history of science, right? And he had these really interesting stories about him and his, like, journey through science. Um yeah. And so that's what they use are these Raman spectrometers to do this quantitative part of this heavy mineral index. Yeah, you're right. Because a lot of these things, yeah, they look the same and you really want to know those exact numbers. So you can say with as much clarity as you can where this sand grain was made 100 kilometers away. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I haven't ever really used a Raman in any in-depth way. But you have you? You have, right? I've used lots of Raman data. Ah, okay. I have not collected a Raman point. But thanks to the magic of YouTube, I have watched it being done <laughs> on multiple different kinds of machines. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, and that was the uh, thing that I didn't know, the multiple different types of them. Yeah, I mean, they're really, like I said, the principle's pretty simple. We should actually talk about it in more detail. Mm -hmm. But kind of the the idea is if you shoot light into something, some of it gets transmitted. A lot of times, a lot of it does. And some of it gets scattered. And when you have a photon that impacts something and excites an electron to a higher energy state and that electron falls back down to its original energy state, the frequency that it emits when it falls back down of the the photon that's emitted, it will be the same as the photon that caused it to jump because it fell the same amount that it climbed. Right. That's called Rayleigh scattering. If the frequency is different, it's Raman scattering. So the electron jumps up to an energy state but then falls to one lower or higher than it was originally at, and that produces a distinct spectra based on the composition of the material. I am constantly disturbed at that. Like, when you say that, it's like, yes. So we know you just stick something in there, and then you know exactly what its spectra is. It's much harder than that. (laughs) Well, you know exactly what its spectra is, yeah. Oh, yes. You don't know what what it is. You don't know what it is. That's exactly right. (laughs) You can see the spectra right there. (laughs) I, I, I love on, you know, CSI shows, uh, when they, they put something in the machine and like it pops on the screen and it's like, this is Selsun Blue Dander Shampoo. <laughs> and like, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you end up getting like, well, it could be this or this or this. Yes. There's a little bit of strontium. That could just be erroneous. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can... Depends on how I do my background removal, actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then uh, I was on a committee where they were looking at Raman spectroscopy of, like, sediment slurries. 
and the fluorescent lights in the room were affecting it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it, I, I mean, they figured it out, so, like, that was great. But it was like, oh, man. Like, they had a peak that was just from having the lights on. Yeah. So that is rough stuff. Yeah. No, I mean, all spectroscopy... In principle is simple, implementing it in the instrument is hard, interpreting it is the hardest. Yes, yep, exactly. That's exactly right. So you should just stick to the optical microscope, that's the point. (laughs) I I have already incurred enough hate from various groups, I'm not going to make any more comments. Excellent. I shall keep needling then. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that's a quick and dirty of how you use heavy minerals for provenance analysis or just, you know, what it is. I have 90 pages of notes here um, about it. So I'm sure we will revisit it as I start to use it more. (laughs) But I'm sure we will also revisit (laughs) this optical versus Raman because, I don't know, I mean, you just got to... Say all this quantitative analysis stuff is better than everything else. John, I don't understand why you got to, you know, posture about what kind of a big dog you are. I'm just marking my territory. (laughs) Which takes us into this week's Fun Paper Friday. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Man, I am so proud of this one. You should be. It's in the Journal of Zoology. Urine marking in male domestic dogs. Honest or dishonest by McGuire et al. I I showed this paper to my wife before recording. And she was like, honest or dishonest? I said, just scroll down to the figures. And with just the figures, she figured out what the paper was about. Which is how we should judge every single paper. (laughs) Yes. So... So good job to McGuire at all, because with the couple figures in the paper, we were able to deduce exactly what you were looking at. Like, that's amazing, right? That's that's amazing. I will tell you that I did chase my dog around with, the, with my yardstick trying to measure his withers. <laughs> uh, um, so the point of this, which was based on an even weirder study, I imagine was that when a dog marks, a male dog, obviously, because ladies wouldn't do this, <laughs> um, <laughs> he hikes his leg up, right, and pees on something. And they say, okay, other dogs walk by, and they get an awful lot of information from this, the least of which is how tall is this dog, right? You can tell where they marked on this tree, fire hydrant, whatever, Yeah, basically saying, could I take this dog or not? Yeah, yeah. So if you're a big dog, whatever, you do your thing. I'm a big dog. My dog's a big dog. He pees way up the tree. (laughs) But if you're a tiny dog, do you want people to know you're a tiny dog? Probably not. Of course not. (laughs) So you better raise that leg a little bit higher and try to lie about how tall you are. (laughs) Exactly. And so... (laughs) They they studied, well, does how tall the dog is affect how high it pees on the, the pole? Well, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. And then they said, is there a correlation between the leg lift angle 
and the height of the dog. And there's a negative correlation. The smaller the dog, the higher the leg lift angle. Oh, which is displayed in the figures. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> oh, that chubby little short guy peeing on that tree. <laughs> I'll say, would you care to describe how the leg lift angle is? <laughs> oh, man, this is really good. So they went to the SPCAs local to their area and these which i love that they're named in here i feel like science takes away all humanity but now they they named you know betty and Catherine and destiny were the dog walkers right and boomer followed these dogs around with his camera taking pictures of when they would hike on something taller than them that was the because if it's not as tall as them then maybe they don't lift their leg up you know as much so they could pee on something taller than them, poles, trees, fences, whatever. And we look <laughs> at the angle that basically from the knee to, yeah, their bums. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the leg lift angle. So the dog's knee to, yeah, the thing that he sticks in your face all the time. <laughs> and little guys have higher angles yep <laughs> this is such like i mean i don't want to call it elegant because it was walking around taking pictures of dogs peeing but i mean it is and they refer in here many times to this idea because there was a study on mongooses mongies mongai mm-hmm and the little shrimpy ones would run their butt further up a tree than the other one males to appear taller. Yeah. And I thought it was also interesting that they talked about that this this finding, their negative correlation here, is contrary to other findings that say that marking behaviors are completely truthful. Because how can you, how can you lie about who you are in your pee? And it doesn't really have to do with the chemical, anything of the pee. It just has to do with how high up it is. Yep. Like what? So, <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, I, I will say like the problem I had with this, but I don't know anything about this field other than what we've read in this paper. <laughs> um, but they addressed this and I was like, you know, mm-hmm. It's a big point, is they did no accounting for what they called overprinting. I had no idea what it would be called. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. But saying, I, as a dog, want to cover up that other dog's pee smell, Yeah. so I'm going to pee where it peed. A big dog doesn't have to do anything. A little dog is more likely to have to try to aim high Right. to do this overprinting. So it maybe would have made a little more sense to try to clean, sanitize, recover, something the pole in between every dog. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. Or, yeah, keep them. This is one of those things. Um, I think I signed up for this through Cornell, which is who this study is through. You can sign up. When you get your dog DNA'd, you can sign up and say, like, my dog has these traits. 
if you ever need him for a study, let me know. This, this would be a good one for, like, people with one dog to take these measurements or at least send these pictures in, like, from their own backyard where there aren't other things marking. Right. Now, I mean, then the question you have to ask yourself, because this is what we ask ourselves, especially, like, with calibration all the time, is, well, okay, I can eliminate this variable, but in the real world... This variable exists, so is it yeah. more representative to let this variable remain uncontrolled? Yep, yep, that's right. But when you're trying to isolate behaviors, that may not be the case. But if you're looking for just what happens, well, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's very true. This is great. I'm in the wrong. I'm in the wrong branch of science. I think. <laughs> you do tend to like the dog papers i do love these dog papers i've learned so much about dogs and man i talk about fun papers so much more i'll be like did you know <laughs> oh yeah yeah and my brothers have chihuahuas which is appalling to me i'm sorry and i'm absolutely gonna tell them all about this paper <laughs> well we have a chewini so, mm-hmm. like a chihuahua, but lower. <laughs> <laughs> but she's a lady, so she's not going to do this. Yeah, <laughs> I would say it's a stretch to call her a lady, but yes, she is a female dog. <laughs> so, my female dog used to go to doggy daycare, and she, after we took her, she hiked her leg and peed on everything. Mm-hmm. And I said, what happened? <laughs> What did that school teach you? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it was really great. But this is fantastic paper. Again, love this. Love the figures. <laughs> yes. I really want to. Yeah, really want to meet that that cute little short dog. He looks adorable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, if you have data on your pet's leg hike angle. Or thoughts on heavy minerals, or how to do Raman, or some other way to pull an interference figure other than <laughs> taking a, an optic off and punching a hole in a piece of paper. We would love to hear any of those things. Shannon, how can they get a hold of us? Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. We are on Twitter at don'tpanicgeo. I'm at Shannon Doolin. John is at geo underscore Lehman. And as always, we'll keep bringing you the doggy pee-pee papers if you keep paying us. So you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash don't panic geo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies. <laughs>